Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Print Design Podcast, episode 46. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks so much for stopping by to check out some wicked design and print talk. Today on the show, I have another fantastic guest, another great conversation about print and print design. And it's one of my favorite subjects of print design, which is the craft beer labels. Now, I'm, I'm not shy about this. I tell you guys all the time that craft beer label design is some of the most creative design work you can get where you just have so much creative freedom with it. And if you really understand how to really work within the print systems that these labels and shrink sleeves are produced in, the types of print, the materials, the inks available, if you know how and you understand all that stuff and you know how it's made, you can really flip the switch and just create some incredible jump off the shelf labels. So you know that I have the craft beer label design course that we've created for Print Design Academy. And if you at all are interested in craft beer label design, then go to the link in this podcast and check that out because you will learn how to create some incredible craft beer labels, um, not even just craft beer, but craft beverage in general, how to take advantage of the can and the different substrates and all the different really cool things that you can do. We teach you in the craft beer label design course. So definitely check that out description in the link below. You can also find out more about it by going to printdesignacademy.com. So today on the show, my guest is Mr. Blake Stevenson, or you might know him on Instagram as Jetpacks and Roller Skates. So we get into all kinds of print stuff about his his sort of early interactions with print being with baseball cards, and he has a really cool story that his dad actually used to be a pressman and printed some early baseball cards and he actually got to see them in like press sheet form when he was younger which you know he obviously wishes he hung on to because those are some of the coolest things to have is those early press sheets we talk all kinds of print and we also of course get into a few different craft beer label projects one of them that he works with on an ongoing basis and the other one was a little bit more creative and unique and i didn't actually know this existed but something called collective arts brewing so I'll put a link to that in the description as well. But let's get right into the episode and hear what we get into. You're going to love it. So ladies and gentlemen, my guest, Mr. Blake Stevenson. Here we go. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So let's talk ink on paper. Blake, welcome to the Print Design Podcast, man. How are you? Not bad. How are you doing, Dave? Doing terrific, my East Coast brother. <laughs> yes. Far East. Not super far East. Like still, yeah, not, still like, in, not like far, far East. Yeah, not like Halifax, but I'm, I'm a little bit back this way. <laughs> like those wild Nova Scotians? Yeah, we don't, we don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, awesome, man. Well, I'm, I always start, and I, and I say this with like the toughest question first. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, yeah, sure. Every time I, I like hear one of these in an interview, I'm always like, what, what makes me interesting? What, is, what, <laughs> what am I? And then, then I hear some of the cool stories. I'm like, oh, I got some of those in my, in my back pocket. But um, I guess uh, in a nutshell, like I am designer, illustrator, uh, just kind of, I don't know, all around creative thinker i just like to tinker with with mm -hmm. creations so yeah that's me and how did you how did you land in this like graphic design or illustration field like how did you land there was this the always the direction or were you like did you have a terrible marine corps experience and decided to go <laughs> the opposite direction no no marine corps experience um i i feel like at an early age i i definitely like i gravitated towards 
the crayons, drawing. I was probably like glued to cartoons for, for far too long that made me just kind of like always want to create those things or create characters. Um, and then it kind of, it excelled through as I got older, um, before I even knew that like graphic design was a thing, like mm-hmm. you just start going into skate. I feel like this, this conversation has happened a million times, but like you go into skate shops, you see that graphics are on there. It's like, you, you start to recognize like your band album covers that like you're in the record store, you're seeing all that kind of stuff. Like, and you, you put all these things together and you're, you're just like, these all look really cool. Like how does, there's no way in the world that that could actually be a profession that somebody does. Um, and then you start skateboarding yourself and you, yeah. you're in high school, you start thinking like, Oh, I could probably make a logo. Mm-hmm. You figure out like what silkscreen is. Um, and you kind of go down that path. Like I, I feel like it, it, it came upon me in a very natural way. Um, I just I just gravitated to graphics, and when I figured out that somebody actually had to make those, I mm-hmm. I was just like infinitely curious and like wanted to know more at every turn, and and just became like a student for life as far as like graphics became. And then my dad was also in the print industry; uh, he worked for like a huge printing press. So it, this is also a weird thing because I growing up, I always thought my my father. Uh, he he did like the Blue Jays like baseball card prints like the big like uncut oh, cool. cards. So he'd bring those op- over um, and like tuck them under the bed or store them somewhere. And then he'd come in with like a bunch of like video game box art. So I was the kid that like went to school and was like, my dad makes video games. Oh, Andy makes baseball cards. Oh, and and then then my friends are all sitting looking at me going like what no he that's and your dad's not that cool no um (laughs) but then slowly figuring it out that like whether somebody on their team made it or or would they went to a designer and they did the separations all that kind of stuff it it's kind of surrounded my life throughout but i i found a very interesting way to get there so yeah what a cool spot to start. Like your dad bringing home like press sheets and baseball card stuff yeah. that he printed. Like that's super cool. Yeah. It, it, my, my brain as a child did not quite understand what that meant. Like yeah. I, I didn't really, cause he used to bring home the little, um, the proofing magnifying glass. Oh yeah. The little loop. Yeah. 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 The loop. And he, and he would show me like what it was for, but my brain is like, why do we need to see these pictures so close? I don't get it. Yeah. Um, so I knew it was, a thing I just didn't understand or care to understand the technicalities of it at that point. Man. So that is like a brilliant early memory of, of print. And could you imagine if you had some of those like old press sheets now? Oh, they were, well, so it happened to be the, the blue Jays world series, 92, 93. And I'm like, (laughs) if I kept those, would they have been like just one of those like priceless commodities? Like people always talk about baseball cards are worthless now, but if you can find the uncuts, like that's, that's where the market is. Um, And we never kept anything because it was just his job. So yeah, nobody, it was just another piece of scrap that kind of, he thought would be cool for his kids to see. Man, that's the thing with with print in general. Like looking at the history of print and and baseball cards, and then more recently Pokemon cards, and then things like yeah. Pogs, and you know things that um, you know at the time they just seem like they're just things, like printed things. And yeah. 10, 20 years down the road, thirty years down the road, you look back and you're like, that was. In, like uh, that was a huge thing that was monumental and now oh, it's yeah. just this nostalgic memory of the smell or the tangible feel of these printed objects yeah i even i one of my earliest memories and i just remember like knowing that my dad did cards and then going to like the local um hockey arena or something and you remember like the vending machines that had like baseball cards I was never a sports guy, so it didn't speak to me, but there was always the X-Men cards that sat in there with like the foil wraps and everything. And you'd take them out. And even in my like childlike brain, seeing that I'm like, this is unbelievable. This is the most special card. Hockey cards don't have this on them. I don't. So I would just be like blown away uh, by that. And like, you don't really see that anymore. And if you do see it, it is in like, the very niche corners of the internet where you're hooking up a Kickstarter 
or um, it's way overpriced because they just don't make them in the quantities that they used to, right? Totally. And you know, they've gone to the days where you'd get those like holographic or lenticular magnets in the cereal yeah. boxes and stuff, right? Yeah, those were, they were good times. I miss, I miss that. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So you've just gone through a couple of amazing, like early memories of print. Um, any, any other printer packaging early memories that stand out to you? Oh, man. oh, this is one that uh, I actually, as a kid, one of my favorite things was, um, was comic books. Yeah. And I would read the heck out of them. But the part that I would always get like stuck on was uh you remember like the you could buy like the x-ray glasses the mm -hmm. the like hover craft i don't know the essentially the the scams in the back um <laughs> yes. and i remember even seeing it and this is where like printing dad comes in he would look at it and he'd look like oh this is just like so terribly printed and i'm like what do you mean and everything like the colors were all offset you could see the uh, four color process like mm -hmm. really messing up um and going outside of the kind of overlay lines and there was something about it and even to this day like i look at those kind of things where i, I like reach for those when i'm doing like a pinterest search or something i just love that mistake of old cheap printing that's on newsprint mm -hmm. that is just saturated um that, like misregistration and totally you know, yeah all of that i so, bought oh, sorry go ahead finish your story i was just gonna say i would like get hooked on that one section in the comic like i'd yeah. i'd blow past the pictures and then for some reason me and my friends would always get our like nickels quarters together put it in an envelope as if that's going to work. You just put like coins in an envelope, send it away and then hope <laughs> something comes back. Never came back because most of those yeah. comics were from the seventies, but um, yeah. <laughs> totally. I recently bought um, one of my early memories of print was national lampoons magazines. Oh, yeah. And I'll spare you the long story, but basically my friend had a stash of his dad's old national lampoons in the basement uh, of his place. And, uh, or sorry, in the crawl space, like it was this three foot crawl space where you got to literally yeah. get down and crawl. And he found them one day. So I went over and he, he says, Hey, come down and look at these things. So I literally went down, crawled underneath and there's spiders everywhere. There's like cobwebs everywhere, but we're looking <laughs> through these magazines, laughing our heads off, right? Like, like intro to nudie magazines, but there's comics and jokes yeah. and things in them. So loved them. So anyways, about three or four months ago, I went on Facebook marketplace. Like I'm wondering if people like still sell these things. And oh, I yeah. bought this set of like early eighties, late seventies, early eighties, um, national lampoons magazines. So I've got like 15 of them and one of them came with the 3d goggles. Oh so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm not> even... <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> exactly. The 3D I, goggles. I, that's another thing that I just, I love. And it reminds me of like comic books, right? Where, yeah they might have like a section because it's a special edition. So like I'm very much stooped in nostalgia. So yeah. Uh -huh. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So that was, I got, I'm working on a video um, that's going to come out about the nostalgia of nudie magazines. It'll be, <laughs> <laughs> it'll be fun. That's amazing. Okay. Oh, so man. dynamite early memories, Blake, I knew you'd have some stories in you. Um, what about recently? Have you had any recent um, interactions with print or really unique packaging that you really enjoyed? Um, I'm, it's weird because I, I've tried to like, set, I've, I've been trying to be like one of those like clean designers that like has the, the sterile desk and all that. I'm not that person. Like there's stuff everywhere. Yeah. Um, but I've, I don't know. I've become this like hoarder of art books because like, yeah. if I can't have the things in drawers, then I can have them on a shelf and I don't look like a hoarder with the books. Mm -hmm. um, so I just, I think I've just been like blown away with like the, the sheer volume and the niche kind of stuff you can get into with art books and even the quality that they're getting to now is yeah. like wild. Um, like opening them up, I'm, I'm just going to grab one while you're, you're here, but like, this is one of my favorite ones, like the, the old disposable oh. skateboard Bible, but the whole thing is like a steel gloss to it. Yeah. And it's pretty much just like a history of like skateboard art from like the forties and fifties all the way up till the nineties. Um, and because I find these like little cool printing, I don't know, nutshells, it's just like, 
I want to keep collecting them because they keep getting better and better. I got the, I don't know, the John Contino uh, brand by hand book. Oh, cool. And like, it's all printed on black pages. Like <laughs> it's just cool. Like, and you can see that it's like a little bit darker because of that. Um, it's just like a very interesting thing. So like, I know it's maybe not exactly what you're looking for, but like I, these things are like true coffee table books now. Draplin yes. did his. That's like a really nice, like thick embossed kind of like pressed one. So I, I don't know, like just book design is getting like really cool these days. And I, I just want all of them. A hundred percent. There's so many amazing books out there of artwork, of photography books, of logo, of type books. Um, and just being creative with it, you know, creating a, like that John Contino one that you just showed me, like you use black pages, totally. like that's yeah. turning book design on its head. Like that's yeah. super cool. Those kind of experiences are really neat. And you have those out on your coffee table or in like the main area on a bookshelf. Yeah. And They're those are the easily everywhere. like easy talking points, right? Totally. And it's just even like when you're sitting at a, at a table, like I find we're just, way too connected to our computers. Like we're like, I'm going to go on Pinterest. I'm going to do a Google search. Yep. And the thing is, everybody's doing that. Yep. Every designer is doing that. So like to have a, a library at your, at will, it's just like, you're already taking from a pool of like inspiration that a lot of people like wouldn't necessarily think because they didn't want to invest in it or they yep. didn't want to just have it on their, like within their space. So I'm not a sterile clean desk designer, but there's a ton of weird books on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Weird books make really good creative. I tell you, man. Um, I want to talk a little bit now about a print in general and why, why you think print is so important to designers. Cause whether a designer is a, a packaging designer, a print designer, a logo designer or illustrator, whatever it is, they seem to have this appreciation for great books like we were just talking about, but also great packaging. You know, how many people still have their iPhone box or their iPad box just because yeah. it was such a great feeling, you know, opening that such a great design and concept. You know, why do you think designers you know, hoard cool print like that, even if they do it or not? Um, I, it's interesting, like one, yes, kind of like you alluded to like the touch, the feel, the experience of just opening something up and it feeling like a physical, tangible object that you, that you can like manipulate, do whatever you want with. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know, you can scroll for days on the internet, but until you have something in your hand, like I talked about the print books yep. and the black pages, like that's an experience you're not going to get on the internet even like the embossed like uh hard covers uh -huh. there's it's like it's just so much more interesting to hold something in your hands and like you can see behind me there's a number of silkscreen or like just art in general yep. um and even like running your hand across like a silkscreen print is like the most satisfying thing to just know where the ink stops and where it begins. And just even like, was it like a, a smooth print or like maybe it was too watered down and like it, it's got some bumps in it. Um, there's things about print that you just cannot get from even digital mm -hmm. um, prints in general. But like once it's hit some sort of press, Yep. There's a new dimension that's that's like now available to the end consumer, which I, I just love. Yeah. In a way, it brings something to life. You're interacting with more senses than just seeing something on a screen. You're starting to get into touch and starting to get into smell and, totally, and yeah. different experiences thing. like that. Yeah. yeah. How, how much direct well. mail do you smell? Ah, uh, yeah, that's, I feel like that's a, that's a scary place to, <laughs> it's just, uh, I'm sitting in the mailbox all the time. It's probably just, oh yeah, sitting in moisture. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. That, uh, that East Coast uh, moistness, <laughs> which yeah. was more like West Coast moistness, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> off the moistness here, Blake. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to kick it back in history again here. And I want you to tell me about the first print project that you were ever a part of. What was it? Did it go well? Tell me about that. 
Um, I am like going back in the the memory banks. Um, I think it was probably like I was a fairly entrepreneurial like person, not necessarily not knowing what that word is, not knowing that like starting a business was a thing or whatnot. But like I grew up listening to punk rock music. um, And I think in like grade eight or nine with my buddy, we decided to start a like a small record label because we wanted our band to play in like clubs and stuff, but we couldn't yeah. because like who's gonna listen to a bunch of like teenagers that probably should never play in clubs because they're underage. <laughs> yes. Um, so like we we actually like made a, a compilation CD with like a lot of like popular Canadian indie bands. We got mm-hmm. a bunch of songs. Um, and we put together a piece and I actually le- learned a lot in that, uh, that creation because the guy that I, I did it with was, um, he was dating a girl who her dad was like a, a, like a press man and he knew how to do die cuts. So we were like, oh, let's, let's like invest in this thing that we want to do. So we made like a little window gatefold CD kind of compilation with some, popular Canadian bands from back yeah. in like the early 2000s, late nineties. Um, and it went well, like it, I'm sure there was like some other print projects too, like t-shirts and whatnot before that, but like ultimately it like went pretty well, but that's, I think because I, my dad being from the print world. And yeah. then I, I also oddly, this is another weird design uh, thing, but my dad went from, he got uh, laid off at his job and then he went into teaching. So he taught uh, communication arts for years. So from like grade six on, I was learning Corel Draw as my dad was learning it to teach in oh, school. Cool. So I learned on like Corel Draw 4 um, and kind of went from there. So I knew what vector graphics were. And that was that was something that like I don't think anybody knew at that age, like when I was kind of going through school and when I met um, – this guy who was making the die cuts for us, he's like, oh, you can like make vectors. Like, you know how to put this package together as like an early high school student. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Like, I, I know how to use Corel. And he's like, you know how to use Corel? Like what? So it was <laughs> a very interesting thing. And then obviously the industry changed over to Adobe and all that. But mm-hmm. I, I kind of started off from a very interesting beginning because my dad's knowledge of it all. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he, very much like I learned alongside while he was learning while he's getting his teacher's diploma and all that kind of stuff. So that's cool. So you really learned that design and that vector work early on. And that definitely sets you in the, like this trajectory for sure. Yeah. The, the pen tool, man, I can just, I know my way around. You I don't slay that pen anymore, tool. But I, I love it. So, <laughs> and do you still have any copies of that piece can around? Oh, not in here. No, um, it's online somewhere. Uh, it's probably on Spotify and stuff, but I can uh, toss that. Yeah, to you if you can dig it up way. and send me some yeah. photos, I'd love to check, take For a look sure. and include some of that stuff. Yeah, let me make sure I note it. No doubt. So have you ever been a part of a print project that didn't turn out as you had hoped, didn't go well, went sideways during the process? Um, can you tell us or take us there? Yeah, for sure. Um, I uh, I feel like as a designer, like everything that you finish, there's always something you could have done better uh, as far mm-hmm. as things that went sideways or upside down or, or whatever, which way. Um, like there, I feel like there's always the things that fall through the cracks, um, whether it's a weird spelling mistake that nobody caught um, mm-hmm. and you kind of try and dust it under the rug uh, as like, I hope nobody else sees it because like, this is a few thousand dollars worth of. Yeah. Don't look at page two. Yeah. Just skip right past that. That's fine. Totally. Um, Or it's like a weird resize. I I don't have any like specifics because I feel like there's just been so many of them. Like they just happen when you're moving quick and Mm -hmm. you're just kind of doing all these things at once. Um, I more, not more recently, but like when I, in my own things, like with silkscreen, um, I love the medium of silkscreen so much, but it is such a weird science that you're like, man, I really hope like 
the yellow overlays this color and makes the color that I think it'll make. Um, but I don't know if it's a bad thing because it's also the, the happy accident of that particular medium mm -hmm. where even if it does look off, it's kind of, well, the way I design anyways, um, it's kind of meant to be like riddled with imperfections because mm -hmm. I, I just like that about it. But I don't know. I like happy accidents is what I'm, I'm getting to. I love that. This <laughs> is the second yeah, exactly. This is the second interview in a row where happy accidents has come out as like a, a thing and a part of print. Starting to see a theme here of yeah. um of happy accidents. And you know, some of the most sought after I think like when we were talking about press sheets earlier, you know, if you had the press sheets of the baseball cards or whatever, um, you can buy press sheets from field notes. You can buy like all kinds of different yeah. press sheets from companies out there. And those are some of the coolest thing to have up on your wall because it's not, you know, a finished artwork piece. It's kind of like still in its manufacturing form, yeah. um, which is really cool. And then taking that the next step further is those make ready sheets, those setup sheets that are like riddled with imperfections, double imaging, printing things, complete misregistration. Like those are even cooler to have just because it looks so unique. And it really just is the obvious way of seeing like, this is a, a craft, a manufacturing process. And okay. you're, you're, you have part of it coming together here. I, I actually have a poster put away somewhere, um, but it's from the, the design duo called uh, Little Friends of Printmaking. I'm not sure okay. if you're aware of them. No, I'm not, um, but I need to be. But the whole thing, it was like a, it's a poster for a poster show. Uh, I used to participate in a bunch of like silkscreen poster, like road shows. Um, and the whole thing is like misregistered. It's still got the crop marks on the side. It's yes. got the illustrator UI like overlaid onto it. And looking at it like from a non-designer perspective you're just kind of like this is like a weird piece of crazy art um but from a designer perspective like anybody that came into our house at that point they're like whoa that poster is like wild there's like so many little things that like i recognized the little because it's silk screen so they have like the overlay so like you know how there's the colors used in the print at the mm -hmm. bottom of each print Mm -hmm. um, and then it shows like the different, um, the way the halftones sit on top of certain colors and how they mix and all that. And I'm just like, this is awesome. And I just love these details. And they almost are an art form in themselves because mm -hmm. they make just interesting textures outside of the, the holistic print. So. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, and when, you know, in the offset printing world, looking at this 40 inch press sheet, having that strip of color bars across the back yeah. or the front edge of the sheet where you've got, some of them are just solid colors. Some of them are a mix of a couple colors. Some of them are, you know, creating these little star shapes that all should meet in the middle. If yep. you're in perfect register, um, you know, all of those kind of things are really unique and just add to the character of like that press sheet, that manufacturing process. Totally. I dig it. It's, it's something that I just, I just love it. I'm even doing, I'm, I'm helping a buddy with like a, an album cover right now. And he, he asked, he's like, oh, can you make it look like a little bit more like it's printed on like, like newsprint. And I'm just like, Oh, like four color process dots. Like you, that's what you, and then he's like, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's very easy to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's just, there is something that like, even if you're not necessarily in the design world, you see these aesthetics that have like, yeah, like bubbled to the surface and we're we're all designers now too because there's like uh, like shows that are talking about interior design even like print design to some degree yep. um so like everybody's got a bit of a design eye now too so like it's slowly becoming like people are actually understanding what typography is and yep. like what kerning is instead i'm just like why do you know what that means <laughs> yeah, they're kind of starting to have, it's almost like an appreciation for it now. Re finally, you know, it used to just be something that you saw and interacted with and never really thought much about. But now, you you know, you've seen the shows where you're behind the scenes of the designer, yeah. and you're seeing what they go through. So you start to generate more of an appreciation for the work that you see, whether it's a brochure or a park bench or whatever it is, you start to understand and recognize, oh, that's why they did that. Or that's why the handles on this side of the door, blah, blah, blah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, Blake, let's do a little bit of a, a little bit of a dive into some of your craft beer label work. And it was one of the cool. things um, that first had me reaching out to you, um, you know, starting to see some of the stuff that you posted on Instagram. And um, actually, since I just remembered a question I wanted to ask you with that <laughs> Instagram is give me the story behind the Instagram handle. Oh, um, that's yeah. So I guess my like weird side thing, it, it, it's called Jetpacks and Roller Skates. Um, and like, that is what my, I guess, like my side business is called. That's what my website is, all that, that sort of stuff. Um, so it's, it's like a bit of a two part answer. Um, one is as a kid growing up, loved cartoons and my favorite cartoons were always the Wile E. Coyote Roadrunner and the just insane ways that the coyote would decide to get the roadrunner and one of it was always a jetpack and roller skates jetpack and roller and skates whether i whether it was like multiple cartoons it felt like it was almost every episode of that particular cartoon he would use that particular device uh-huh. it was probably only one episode but uh you know it it just stuck with me so much um, and then later on in life, that kind of theme came through uh, a band actually called uh, The Full Blast. And they were kind of, I was a big scene kid uh, when that was a thing. I don't know if mm-hmm. that's a thing anymore, but like I loved going to like punk shows, going to community centers, like seeing just kind of raw punk bands. And there's this one punk band that uh, they did like kind of that speed skate punk um, called The Full Blast. Okay. And I always loved it because, like, it. I was really into skateboarding. It was the perfect music to to kind of get going. And one of the songs that they had was called uh, "All I Need Is a Jetpacks and Roller Skates to Get to You." And it's like kind of this cheesy scene song about like his girlfriend like going away, and he's like, "Oh, if I only had a jetpack and roller skates, I'd I'd be able to get back to you," kind of thing. So I've always loved that band and when they came out with that song um i there was just one of these things that i loved the visual of that thing i've never roller skated in my life um um, i have skateboards that have roller skate trucks on them uh, yeah but like there was just something about that visual that was so nuts um and it just and i like the the two word combination with the ampersand in the middle yeah. It's all, all sorts of fun things. That's cool, man. I like the story behind that. Um, you mentioned you hadn't roller skated before, but I'm going to leave out and not ask questions that you didn't say you hadn't jetpacked before. Oh. <laughs> so moving on with that one. But <laughs> you know, it's, it's a Thursday thing, so. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, we all have our hobbies. We all have our hobbies, Blake. <laughs> so one of the deep dive projects I wanted to get into here um, – along the craft beer lines here with you was the Elora brewing co work that you've done. Yeah. Um, And I thought sort of the best way to kind of visualize and start that conversation would be to just bring up their Instagram feed. Um, So those of you who are listening to this, you can go check out Elora brewing company on Instagram. That's E L O R a brewing company. It's also linked down in the show notes here. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to go through some of these, um, some of the craft beer designs and kind of get a little bit of a story behind them. Yeah, for sure. There's a, there's an awful lot on there. So, <laughs> so why don't you start by telling me just a little bit, kind of this like 10,000 foot view of their brand and their brand direction and how you're starting to incorporate that into the designs of these cans and labels. Yeah, for sure. So just to walk back a little bit, um, Laura's it's an interesting story just in general. I, my day job is I'm like a product designer, a UI designer, do a lot of, um, digital stuff. Mm-hmm. And I worked for an agency for years and my boss at the time um, was like, I've always wanted to start a brewery. And like, it was this ongoing conversation and he knew that he had a bunch of like designers kind of like working with him mm-hmm. and the brand and everything, it sits in the town of Alora. Um, so that's where the name com- comes from. But um, it was just more or less like, it was a very interesting thing where we could kind of build the brand together. So he had a bunch of partners come in and we went over to their house, like the day that they kind of were talking about it. We like stirred the mash, built like brewed everything with them. Um, and it was, it was this really interesting thing. Like 
we we poured beers out of his his taps in his like garage and then he like walked us around town to get like the feel of Alora. I knew Alora pretty well because I grew up in a town not far away from it. Um, okay. But it's like a, a very kind of agricultural centered town, um, mm-hmm. very touristy. It's got a quarry. It's got like um, some interesting like waterfalls. It's very like towny, but it's also very artistic because it has like a, a big music festival every year that everybody like goes to. So though it is like kind of stooped in this agricultural like surrounding it's also like kind of a fish out of water in the sense that there's a lot of creative people there's a lot of like interestingly painted houses a lot of um just color vibrance and eclecticness throughout okay so the idea around the brand was more or less like how do we distill that into something so the, the like uh, into a i guess a beer brand um, so this was definitely not the first iterations of like the look. Originally, they were all in the big bottles, the Beamer mm-hmm. bottles. Um, and then they they went more into the canning method. But like originally, like we all loved music. So we we're trying to like make every sticker on the label look like a gig poster. Um, and mm-hmm. then we're, we then had to work in a different medium and work with cans. So that was when we decided to kind of like actually build a bit of a system around it. So the, just like there's some like notable pieces on each can that kind of keep the brand together, but then it's kind of like the centerpiece or the, the beer and and like whatever the flavor is, um, is where we're, we bring that whimsical nature. in. so it's like the surrounding the system that is like the stooped in tradition and the agriculture with the kind of the, chaos in the middle and the craziness and the fun with the characters that I kind of bring to the table. So that's like in a nutshell, how the brand kind of got to where it is now. Okay. Um, And yeah, it's, it's really been like a a partnership with them. We're still like every day we're figuring this thing out. Like the brand can change next week because we find out new information Um, or we can be like, Oh, I think we need to reel it back because we're going a little bit too crazy. uh, (laughs) One-offs. Um, but like we're, we're getting to a, an interesting place and we're having fun with it. So that's cool. So they're, what I'm sort of seeing, um, or first one of you were describing that I heard, uh, did I, I want to make sure I heard this right. That yeah. basically the day that he came to you with like a, I think I want to start a brewery. You were over at the house, like stirring no. mash and drinking beer. No, no. So th- those things were a few days apart. We were actually okay, okay. in the office one day. <laughs> And he was like showing me like uh, some different, he's like being a, like op- opening a brewery couldn't be that hard. Um, and we, it's one of those like off the cuff kind of conversations that you kind of like, everybody says these things. Yeah. But he was also a very like entrepreneurial person. Like he had an agency and um, he also like came from another business that like was also entrepreneur. So like he was kind of this serial business person. Mm-hmm. So he said he wanted to start a brewery and we thought nothing of it. And then it was like two weeks later, he would come in with like business plans. And then like a week later, he'd come in with like, I think I found a building that we could like use. And sure enough, he came in with like the schematics of an old like hardware store in this town uh, of Alora. And like, then fast forward like a month, weeks later or whatever, he's like, you know what, come down. I, I think the brewery thing is happening, but like, how can we, like, we still have to put a business plan together, yeah. help me do that, understand the town. Um, and then we, we essentially did that. And like the rest is history. It just kind of like started to build from there and That's cool. the brewery's running well. And like, it's, it seems to be one of those like respites for people that, you know, during the pandemic, they had a nice patio and they uh, they had a lot of people coming through, and I get a ton of weird like DMs from people that are like, "Man, I saw your stuff on Allura cans," and like, there's this influx of like people that follow and message me on Instagram solely from the brewery, and I think it's a little special thing that we've made because there's a lot of character That's in cool. each one of the cans. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the ones that you see on the Instagram are one-offs unless they are like tall cans. So. 
Got it. So now getting into like the cans of this brewery and the sort of the design, we talked a little bit about the brand and the evolution of that brand. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned that, you know, now that it's a bit more, uh, you know, established, what is the sort of the core systems you're working with on each label and working within? And once you've established that system, like how creative are you with the rest of the label and how do you come up with the idea for it? <laughs> um, well, so with the one-offs, we try and keep it like pretty structured. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's a pretty small window of area to like work with. So it's usually like a spot illustration and those are just digitally printed stickers that you yep. kind of wrap, go in the canning machine, get wrapped, head out the door. Um, and the intention of those is because we usually move fast. So like the last week I kind of knocked out three for the next like um, few months uh, of beer releases. Mm -hmm. And that's just cause like they're one-offs. So like, we don't want to invest too much, but we still want to keep the character yeah. um, alive in each beer. Cause I know a lot of breweries when they do a one-off, they might just like throw the chalk on the, chalk on the actual label that says like what the thing is or they have like a generic label that they just kind of put the type in as what the mm -hmm. new thing is but we wanted to kind of move away from that and we tried to work something out that is like well how i know you can work fast but like what's a timeline that you could do to get like a spot illustration on there so at least there's there's character throughout each one of these releases and it looks I don't know. I always equate them to like tra trading cards because you're like, oh, I haven't had the one with the, the fat cat on it yet. I haven't had the one with like <laughs> yes. the broken down truck on it yet. Um, Love that it's comparison. Not just about the, the, it's not just about like the, the type of beer. Yes, it is because it's a, a like a craft beer industry, mm -hmm. but it's still like it, it makes for an interesting like Instagram moment because with if you're on the Instagram now, there's the broken down truck one. Yep. And there's this kind of like, uh, there's a spot just outside of town where there's these old like Ford or Chevy trucks, like kind of broken down in the middle of the forest and it's called <laughs> Pilkington. Okay. And they're like, oh, we should do that because like, you know, it's the spot where like the kids go with a few beers, drink and like whatever. The kids, maybe not, but. Um, <laughs> those youngins uh, these days. Yeah, those youngins just scooping beers. Um, but, you know, it's like it's like a hangout spot. So mm. it was like, Oh, so we're injecting the personality of the town whenever we can as well. Yeah. Um, into some of those ideas. Um, I guess some of them are just inside jokes. And I yeah. find that's like a lot of craft brew stuff. It's like, yeah, somebody says something funny one day, but that's the magic of it is that. And I think that's why it also attracts a lot of creative people because mm -hmm. it's a blank canvas with very little constraints on it almost yeah. every time. Um, and I've done bigger beer labels before for other like uh, larger companies. And there's usually like some pretty like strict guidelines that you have to stick in. And that's fun because you know, it's going to be seen by a bunch of people, mm -hmm. but it's definitely not the personality is a little bit lost on it. Yeah. So when you were describing that, you know, each of the labels kind of has a, a kind of a, a feature of the town or something like that. I sort of saw this lodestar one in the corner with an octopus. Yeah. And kind of went, okay, what's the story behind this guy? Yeah. This, this <laughs> one might not be as, as exciting. I I'm pretty sure that one was like a lodestar is like the, the guiding star for like sailors and all that. But then we're okay. like, well, but like a pirate ship's fine. Um, or like a sailing ship's fine, but like, you know, it's cool, like a squid or an octopus. That's actually cool. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of been the flagship, like sour beer of the, uh, nice. the company as well. So mm -hmm. they'll do like a ton of one-offs throughout the year, but then usually like once a year, they'll do a huge, like tall can batch and like get them like crated up and send them out. Um, but the, it's also been as far as like Alora goes and Ontario in general, I guess. Um, I'm not sure if it's the same in BC, but we have some interesting constraints too, because we have like the liquor control board of Ontario, mm -hmm. which is, is a, an interesting thing because they're a business in their own. So now they, they can only carry certain things 
in every store and every buying agent. So it's almost like there's such competition to get into the LCBO here mm -hmm. that we have to do like one pagers and you have to go up to like a board of review and they have to, for a while back, I don't know, like seven, eight years ago, like I don't, you couldn't put cartoons on, on uh, beer labels. And now mm -hmm. it's like, obviously it's, it's cleaned up a bit. Like most of these are <laughs> cartoons. Yeah. Um, a lot of these aren't in like LCBOs unless it's like the flagship ones, but still yeah. like they've definitely loosened up. So there's a whole, that's also why they like to experiment too. Cause like if something really takes off, then they can think about taking that to the the big game, the big show. Um, so it's been, it's just been yeah. fun to even like build out these like weird little throwaway illustration characters mm -hmm. throughout because it's, it's just like a, a proving ground to see like what what floats yeah and, and so that but you bring up a really interesting point is that in every sort of province every you know state every area where a designer might be creating these labels for they may have different requirements and restrictions in, when it comes to designing that label and what you're able to have and how big the size of the alcohol content needs to be and you know th little things like that about the label so it's really important if you're getting into this craft beer label design game to understand the area that you're designing for these for and what the requirements are of the governing body if of that area for liquor totally. labeling and i i think like as canadians we kind of like look across borders and see how strong the craft beer game is in the states and how vast it is but they've had 20 30 years on us to like develop what that is and yeah. things have changed you can start like a small craft beer business like pretty easily mm -hmm. um but in canada like there's a lot of restrictions around alcohol um yeah. specifically in, in ontario uh, i'm not sure about elsewhere but no i think it's pretty much consistent across um, across canada though um, so you have the shorter sort of 355 mil cans and yep. it seems looking through the Instagram that those are generally labeled, um, you know, they're, they're, you know, cartoonish illustrations. Now it looks like you also have some taller cans. What is there? Is there like core beers in tall cans and special releases yep. in little cans? Is that how it works? Yeah. So that's, that's how it works. So there's, I guess there's three criteria. So there's, Small cans, which are the one-offs that go out the door, and yeah. like once that batch is done, they'll they'll keep the recipe, but they might tweak it um, depending on like how it's going, whatnot. And then there's the tall cans that are kind of the the flagship beers that mm -hmm. will go to the LCBO regularly, um, and those are usually done in a flex kind of wrap uh, okay. around the whole can. Um, currently, we're like dealing with a another printer right now. Um, and we're, we're just kind of sorting out the new, um, the new Pantone selections and everything to make sure. Mm -hmm. So we've limited the colors. We, we were working with another printer before that kind of said like, you know, no holds barred, like do whatever you want. And I was excited because like, Oh, I don't need to trap. I don't need to like wor worry about like the, uh, the swells and all that. Mm -hmm. But then seeing what the final product was, um, you lose a lot of the vibrancy. You lose a lot of, um, I don't know, it just smudges easier. There's there's all sorts of things to take into consideration. So with that one, that's printed at a much higher run because it's going around. And then mm -hmm. there's the, um, I guess, because they're also a restaurant, they have like the table side beers. So oh, it's cool. kind of like the champagne beers that they age for a year that they um, they kind of put away, or you can buy like the one or two year aged bottles mm -hmm. at a higher price kind of thing. That's for like the the true beer person kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of the three different areas. Okay. Um, and it's it's kind of cool that we we jump around all the time. I I kind of love that about it because it it's always interesting, and whether we're doing a small can or a large can, they have their own constraints and like interest level. One of the other like rules that we gave to the tall cans is that it's not just a focus. Um, it's like the, it keeps the continuous 
color bar at the bottom to stay within the brand system, uh-huh. but the graphic wraps in a seamless way. Yeah. So you then have to think of the constraint of the seam and yeah. is like, if there is misregistration, will it be a huge nightmare or whatnot? Cause we have one that is like a full pattern that goes all the way around. Yeah. Um, and like just li- little things like that. Like it's, it's super fun to kind of change context and even up to, you'll see in the Instagram, there's like a ton of people wearing like clothing. So we do like different print runs of t-shirts and like embroidered hats, mm-hmm. um, whatever we can. Like we've, we've kind of tried to make it like more of like a lifestyle brand cool. um, because Alora is a bit of a, like a, it's both townies and tourists. And it's like this kind of cool lifestyle on its own. Once you walk down the strip, you're kind of like, this is a cool place. <laughs> That's cool. So we've got the specialty release in you know the aged bottled beers. Mm-hmm. The core beers that are around regularly are in the tall cans and those get a shrink sleeve. So when you were mentioning the seam and trying to understand you know how it wraps and how it connects at that seam, um, that's for the shrink sleeve stuff. And yeah. then the shorter cans, the 355 mils, they just get a wraparound label um, you know with some really cool, illustration and artwork on it. I love the system on that. I love the, um, you know, even looking at the Instagram here between the tall cans and the short cans, that bar that you were talking about at the bottom where you've got, um, you know, you've got obviously complementary colors between the design, but you've got like the alcohol content, the size of the can listed, like all of that stays consistent, but no matter whether it's a special release small can or the big can, which makes it look really cohesive. Yeah, that and the intention was more because like you, I don't know if it, they still post, but you remember like oh beautiful beer. The there was like a beer design like Tumblr or WordPress site or something, and every time we like scrolled through this uh, this one website, they just had such cool like brands that kind of stuck out throughout, and like mm-hmm. when you picked up a insert brewery name can it was like oh you knew that you're drinking that beer mm-hmm. and i i love that about it obviously i like the creativity so we're trying to figure out a way to marry the two yep. without it being like so strict um and i i think i think we've done a good job we still have you know more learning there's one of the um the bottles there mm-hmm. So yeah, you can see like it's a very different form factor, but mm-hmm. still just a like a like a digital printed label. Yeah. Super clean. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you've done a really great job with this with the design on this brand and keeping things um consistent. And as I scroll further down in the Instagram, I can kind of see like little elements of the evolution of it. Yeah, it's it's definitely um it's definitely gone places. If you scroll like to the the early days, you'll see like where those bottles were and all that. It's probably like way down. We've been doing the the um the like cans for a long time, but like they're even kind of experimenting with um like seltzers and stuff now. Oh yeah. And, oh, one one of the other things that we've been like messing around with is like trying to make the flats that you deliver them the LCBO like more interesting because like mm-hmm. when you're amongst a sea of beer um that and most of the time like nobody's taken them out of the flat to put on the shelf so that's kind of the place that you you see the brand so we're like okay well i've just redesigned all of the the flagship ones um so they're color-coded and like the name of the the type of beer is on the front so like it's Mm -hmm. in like huge future of font so like if you want an ipa you can see it from across the room so, <laughs> that's cool that's really yeah, cool we're, we're just thinking about it in like from every touch point we can because yep it's a very diluted market um pun, pun intended there's uh, <laughs> yeah there's so many craft breweries out there and really the key yes to some degree with you know with the real enthusiastic craft beer drinkers they will have a particular taste of a brand and oh i only drink this craft beer because they're the best so like the, you'll have those guys but the rest of it it's branding 
Yeah. It's like, how does it, how does it feel when I interact with that brand from, is it just a brown corrugated tray bringing the beer to the liquor store or is it like something printed and unique and different? Yeah. Um, so those are the brands that I think are really going to really winning is the ones yeah. with the good branding and who are spending the money on that extra little bit of packaging, that extra little bit of design to really stand out. And all the, all the flats too are all silkscreen too, which is pretty fun. Like, addition to i don't think that's unique um mm -hmm. but it's more like how can we utilize that because i love silkscreen it's it's like we get two mm -hmm. colors what can we do with them um yeah. so and i got i got into that exact conversation with a previous guest just recently um about how you know some of the worst things that can happen to a designer is where a customer comes to them and says i want to print this packaging and do whatever you want there's no constraints you know, you oh, almost, yeah. as a designer, you want constraints. You only get two colors and this is the dye line in the tray. What can you do? Yeah. my To be honest, my favorite thing in the world is when somebody tells me I only have two colors. Yeah. Um, because like I come from, well, silkscreen and then I love apparel design. Mm -hmm. And like, if you can make something in one or two colors, like yeah. my shirts don't usually extend like a one or two color like print run. Uh, mm -hmm. Because it just, I don't like that kind of stuff. I like iconic branded t-shirts. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not like, I'm not like a wolf howling at the moon type of person. I wish I was, but like they're, uh, it's just too much for me. I need something like very solid. Yeah, that's right. So when somebody comes to you and says, look, like you only got two colors, you're like, boy, you watch me work. <laughs> Yeah, that's how I roll. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I roll. That's awesome. And I really appreciate you giving us a look into that one. I just wanted to quickly touch on um, the other site that you had shared with me, the Collective uh, Arts Brewing site, and just a couple of the things sure. that you had up there before we just wrap this up. So let me get real creative and add that to stream here. <laughs> yeah, Collective Arts is, a, is an interesting brewery. Um, I'm... I'm sure out in BC you guys get them. They're they're kind of spanning Canada, the states. They've got bottle shops in Brooklyn. Um, they're becoming quite the like. I think they're the largest Canadian like independent brewery right now. Um, but they have such an interesting model. They kind of it's an open invitation to like artists in general, and they kind of say like we're doing a, a spring call for artists mm -hmm. put your like designs in the hopper and we'll pick a bunch from a panel of people. And then if you get chosen, you get like a little bit of a, a payout, but also they might use your illustration on a billboard. They might use it um, in the brewery. I've, and then for each time that they use it, they give you like royalties. That's cool. Yeah. So really it's like, um, like you were saying, like kind of an open forum for designers and you just yeah. submit and you know, you're basically sharing your creative and your style and your work with in this format, this beer can format, um, yeah. with them and they can, and it, they're, they're super interested. They have a pretty rigid system as well. Like on the mm -hmm. side of the can kind of like, um, like the the words are horizontal uh, or sorry vertical vertically like going up the can mm -hmm. and it says like collective arts what the beer type is the the alcohol percentage all that kind of stuff but then they kind of give you like we'll call it a instagram square of space to then dump your image onto that's cool. and like do what you will with it you get that square you can have have at it and the best part is like when you see them, they're so vibrant and like very colorful. Um, I, I'm pretty sure they're all CMYK. I just think if you're taking that much art in, you're probably not. Uh, you're probably not like separating all of these. Yeah. But they might use like a Pantone splash on the actual like constant on the side. Mm -hmm. um, but overall, like it, they're they're cool. I haven't worked with them in a a long time because um, I, I was friends with the the creative director there. Yeah. And, uh, but like, so we, I, I kind of was the test artist for a lot of things. I did like murals at the brewery and did a bunch of like limited edition silkscreen prints because he also loved silkscreen and mm -hmm. he could see that my stuff would separate really nicely. 
So it was like a nice match made in heaven. And he since left the company, but like I, it was just like one of those very fun things. So I got to do a lot of super fun, random like projects with them. Like right now, the last project we did together, um, they, they just opened a bottle shop about a year ago in mm-hmm. Toronto, like right down, uh, right downtown. And I have like a little full area that's just like 13 or 14 pieces of my artwork, like in a little alcove kind of thing. And that's cool. It's pretty cool. Cause I get a lot of like photos sent to me on Instagram of that. And I'm like, Oh, this is cool. Like I still have yet to go to it <laughs> yeah. because like I'm in my, my, uh, my town outside of the city that I, mm-hmm. I just haven't gone into the city as much. So yeah, man, that's cool. So I want to go through a couple of these ones and just sort of get like a brief story behind each one. Um, and just for the people who are listening to this, I'm going to put a link to this site down in the podcast notes um, of this episode as well. So wherever you're listening, just go to the notes and description of this episode, and you'll see a link to this artwork that we're talking about. Um, but we got Astro Skeleton and his cat. I I hope I, I don't disappoint with these because I feel like this is just like how my mind works. Um, no, I, I think so, that's good. <laughs> Cause like the, the issue, like whenever somebody's like, Oh, so give me a story behind Astro skeleton and his cat. And I'm just like, like, what doesn't it tell a story in its own? I'm like, I, <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to see what this looked like. Yeah. And I thought about it one day and I'm like, I need to see what it looks like. I wish I had like some, really cool story about it but i'm just like no it's that's the best i I love that like i just wanted to see what a skeleton with a cat riding a rocket ship would look like like that's the best (laughs) i i have this uh argument with like people all the time because like i i come from a very traditional like arts background i went to like animation life drawing all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. i can I could do more realistic things back in the day. I don't know if I could do it anymore because I've twisted my brain into like cartoon land. Um, <laughs> but I just, they're like, well, why don't you draw like more realistic stuff? I'm like, cause I see real things every day. That's boring. Yeah. Um, so my thing is like, I just want to do cute, weird creations <laughs> um, that like, I would watch a television show about any one of these things. Mm-hmm. And instantly, as soon as I saw the name of this one, I'm like slow spirituality. And I see it's a sloth meditating. Like, yeah. <laughs> I love um, that. Cause, cause your brain is a little bit like mine, but except the difference is you have the skills to actually bring these things to life in a visual way. Whereas mine just stay in my head because I don't have the talent, but uh, like thinking of weird quirky things that you, you, that just really just come from your personality and the way that you see and interact with the world coming up with just these crazy things. Like what does a sloth meditating look like? And th- that becomes a thing. Yeah. I, and it, it's weird. Cause it like made total sense to me. I'm just like, well, they must meditate all the time. Like they're, they're the most <laughs> chill creatures in the world. Um, and that, that was one of those. And like, I probably did that and spirits, spirituality, put ghosts in there. Cause I just love any, I'll draw a skull on anything. That's one yeah. of my big things. Mm-hmm. Something that is deceased. I love to draw as long as I can throw a cute spin on it. Yeah. Because I, I think this is probably sitting in front of the television as a child for too long, even though it's gross and it's something that traditionally we'd go like, eh, that like whatever. I, still want it to be accessible for everybody mm-hmm. and i don't know what it is like even with skateboard designs i always gravitated towards like the birdhouse skateboards that were always like more like very cartoonish mm-hmm. um and there was something about that because you're you're doing something skateboarding was always like kind of a bad thing when you're a kid, like when you had a skateboard, you're probably a punk and you're probably spray painting stuff and all that. And I just love the fact that like, there was like a baby sucking its thumb on the the board, like a cute baby or there was like the cute, <laughs> the cute reaper or something on the blind decks. There's just yeah. something so like uh juxtaposition to all I was that. literally thinking that word right now. Yeah, there's just this juxtaposition to it that makes it, you know, we're so contrary yet unique and, and fun. And yeah. 
I get it. Yeah. I I feel like my my brain is just a, a mad libs. It's just like, what are some cool things? Let's throw them in a blender and draw it. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I love that idea. I love the way your mind works on these things. Um, and, you know, that really is how some of these great ideas come together. It's not really a heavily thought out thing. It's an idea and you just got the balls to put it out there and create it and it ends up being a hit. Yeah. I, you, you just risk it and do it. Yeah. And if you keep if you keep doing it for long enough, people are like, oh, I've seen that before <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's, it's odd. Cause I, I feel when I started on my, my journey of the weird craziness, yeah. um, it was like, I just started putting things out there over and over and over. And then eventually you get like art directors that were on like dribble or on Pinterest. And they're like, uh, I saw your thing on there. Can I hire you to do this thing? Yeah. Crazy how the world works now. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Blake, that's amazing. Thank you so much for giving us the insight to some of these designs and really an insight into your mind, Blake. You just gave us a, <laughs> pee, a peek inside. Um, the last question that I wanted to just sort of wrap up with here is there's a lot of designers out there who have gone through four years of design degree or have been in the field for a few years and are really interested in starting with print design. But don't know how to get started. What advice would you give that designer looking to get started with print design? Um, I would like, it's a, it's a crazy answer. I know, but I'm just like, just, just start doing it. Like, don't, don't wait for permission to do anything. Yes. Like yeah. my thing with silkscreen was I bought a crappy silkscreen frame from like, whatever art store was around. And I was like, we need band shirts. Let's print our own band shirts. How do we do that? Like there's instructions in the box. Sure. Or like, I, like even doing skateboard designs, whether you start, like it's so easy to do CMYK, like print on demand boards now, uh -huh. but like you got to start somewhere. You have to, even though it's, it's a CMYK thing, like do that buy it, like get it in your hands, see how it works, see how you might change it. Like even mm -hmm. understanding the the medium in, in any way is just, you ha you can't understand until you do. Yep. And you have to just do it over and over and over. And if you don't fall in love with that, it's probably not for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great point. And one of the points that I usually add to that is when you say just do it, like, specifically with craft beer labels and shrink sleeves um the world of digital printing now for labels and shrinks is so approachable yeah. it does not cost a lot of money to just start experimenting and testing things and trying things um and that's really the one of the best ways to figure it out is by trying yeah totally like you can download an Instagram post and throw it on a beer label if you really wanted to. Yeah, 100% and have it printed and delivered to you tomorrow. Yeah. Be on cans tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Blake, thanks so much for being my guest today uh, on the Print Design Podcast here. Thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Dave. This was awesome. Uh, great conversation and uh, I love the show. All right. All right. That is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Again, if you want to learn how to create some of those incredible craft beer label designs, learn the ins and the outs, the trade secrets from like beginning, what is a label all the way to file setup and the expert kind of stuff. Definitely check out the craft beer label design course. The link to that is in the description of this episode or go to printdesignacademy.com and you can find it there as well. Now, if you are digging what you're hearing here on the Print Design Podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening, and leave me a rating and a review. I would really appreciate it. They make me smile. And, you know, smiling's a good thing. It'll save your life one day, I'm sure. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Bye.